And this is the final conclusion to the entire series. <laughs> are, <y 'all laughs> are y'all clapping because it was a good series or clapping because it's over? Okay, here's the sermons we talked about. Part one was the power of a thought. Part two was fear. Part three was discouragement. Part four was lust. Part five was hopelessness. Part six was criticalness. Part seven, bitterness. Part eight, failure. Part nine, negativity. Part ten, anxiety. Part eleven was depression. And part twelve was insecurity. So if you have any problems in the world for the rest of your life, go to YouTube and here's something that will help you right here. Any of those things right there will take, 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 take good care of you life. Um, thank you for turning your cell phones off ahead of time. Thank you for getting your Bibles, your notebooks ready. And today in part 13, I want to talk to you about the imagination. The imagination. If you want to in your Bibles, you can turn to, um, I think a great passage would be in Genesis 30, the end of Genesis 30. We're going to talk about that towards the end of the sermon. But today we're going to talk about the power of the imagination. One of the most incredible tools that God has given us is our imagination. I mean, it's incredible. It can paint so many amazing pictures uh, on the canvas of our mind. Now, our imagination all in itself, it's neither good nor bad. It's just a tool. And it's probably the most incredible tool that we have. It, it's almost like a canvas. And when a painter pulls out a, a canvas, he, he gets his paint brushes and his colors ready. And he can easily paint a picture that is, is lustful. He can paint a picture that produces fear. Like a scary picture. He can paint pictures that's showing um, um, like a critical attitude towards a certain race or a certain country. Uh, in the same way that painter can pull out a paintbrush and can paint a beautiful sunset. Can paint flowers, you know, growing in springtime. Can paint birds flying in the air. And every single morning that we get up, God hands us a blank canvas. So special. The Bible says how his mercies are new every single morning and how uh, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Every day, the minute your eyes open up, God hands you a blank canvas. There's nothing on there. You get to decide what you paint. Now, you can pull out the paintbrush of, of fear, of fear of the unknown, fear of something that's going to happen to one of your children, fear that you're going to lose your job. You can pull out the paintbrush of, of insecurity and feel like, you know, no one likes me and all these offenses that took place the day before. You can pull out the paintbrush of it's not fair. It's not fair that I have to work all these hours. It's not fair that I have a, a mentally handicapped child. It's not fair that, that this person did me wrong and now I'm stuck in this place in life. But in the same way, you can pull out the paintbrush of faith. And you can see the right doors opening in life. You can see the wrong doors closing. You can pull out the paintbrush of power and you can visualize angels, huge angels, warring and fighting against the demons that come against you in life. You can pull out the paintbrush of hope and just see all of your life fitting together like a perfect puzzle. And, and everything happening for a reason in your life. The point I'm making is this. Whatever picture you paint determines your future. And God does not paint a picture for you. He gives you the blank canvas. The enemy does not paint the picture for you. It's totally up to you. If whatever picture you paint on your canvas is going to determine how your day is going to go. I'm not talking about your circumstances because every one of us have negative circumstances. Every one of us have negative people in our life. Every one of us have situations we don't like. But none of that matters because how you respond has to do with what's going on inside of your mind. The picture you paint on the canvas of your marriage is going to determine the future of your marriage. The picture you paint on the canvas of your church is going to determine your attitude when you're in this building and with this family. 
The picture you paint when it comes to your finances is going to determine how you spend your finances. You can paint the same picture that God says to paint on your finances and putting him first and realizing that he's your source and your boss is not your source. Or you can paint the picture of, if my boss doesn't like me, I'm not going to make it. If the president is not who I want it to be, it's not going to go good for me. And, and put all of this source on people's shoulders. Whatever picture you paint determines your future. It says in Hebrews 11:3, by faith, we know that what can be seen was made out of what cannot be seen. Um, this can go back to when you talk about the Big Bang Theory or evolution. No matter how far you trace back a physical thing, even to the single-celled organism, it's still a physical thing. So therefore, the physical had to come from the spiritual. Another way we can say this is you're never going to see it on the outside until you first see it on the inside. And this may not sound like a very spiritual sermon to you, but it is very, very spiritual because out of everything God's given us to do and all the abilities we have, the fact that we have an imagination that can put together pictures and movies greater than Steven Spielberg has ever made on the forefront of our mind is going to determine the way we walk in life. Because listen, if you want to change your life, you got to change the picture that you're painting. If we want to succeed in life, we have to paint a picture of success in our mind first. This is the first thing you have to do. Great athletes understand this principle. Tiger Woods is quoted to say, before he ever strikes the golf ball, he first stops and takes a mental image of it in his mind of where exactly he wants that ball to land. And it would do us good every night before we get, go to bed to close our eyes and imagine our children making straight A's in school. Imagine them marrying the right people. Imagine them going to college. It would do us a lot of good to stop and imagine ourselves at the ideal weight that we want to be at. Imagine ourselves happy and healthy. Imagine ourselves confident and walking into a room with our shoulders back, our head up, looking at people in the eye. In the same way you can go to bed, you can imagine someone breaking into your house. You can imagine you losing your job, imagine your relationships going downhill. You can take some little teeny offense that somebody caused at work that day, and you can imagine it getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you you can see yourself cussing out everybody at work and shooting them the bird and leaving that place. Or you can imagine God's favor on your life and you getting promoted over and over and over again. It all takes place first in the power of our imagination. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 11, there's the story of the Tower of Babel. I'm sure you heard about Babel or know about it, where these guys tried to build this huge tower. They wanted people to see them as gods. They were so prideful. They wanted everybody to look at them. They wanted to make it up to heaven. And in the middle of this situation, God spoke in Genesis 11:6 and said, Nothing they have imagined will be impossible for them. Isn't that so interesting? God was saying, your imagination is so powerful, it'll cause you to be able to do things that would not naturally seem possible. But because you did it first in your imagination, it makes it possible in the outside, in life. And you know the story, God changed their, changed their tongue, and they were all speaking different languages, and it, and it didn't occur. But the point still goes back to the same. They started it with their imagination. It's a very, 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 very powerful thing. Um, A lot of people today, their problem is not the addiction they have. Their problem is not the job they have. Their problem is not people around them, even though they blame it on those things. Their problem is how they see their life and their imagination. If you struggle with an addiction today, let me encourage you to imagine yourself without that addiction. Just take a few minutes every day and by faith, like the Bible says, see yourself without that cigarette in your hand. See yourself without that need of alcohol. See yourself with, with, with no, with, with, see yourself throwing away all that pornography. See yourself healthy and whole. See yourself the way God wants you to be. A lot of people's problem is they let their imagination run wild. 
If you want to have better control of your life, have better control of your thoughts first. Don't let your if you allow your imagination to do whatever it wants to do, our human nature will always go to the negative. Our human nature will always go to the worst case scenario that usually never ever happens. I read a true story. It's a funny story. It's true though. This woman named Linda Barnett. She was 23 years old, and she was a constant worrier. Constant fear was on the forefront of her mind. She always saw the worst. And one day, she was at the grocery store, and it was a hot, hot summer day. And she was sitting in her car. And people that that were going by, they noticed that her windows were rolled up in the heat. The car wasn't on. And she was holding her hands on the back of her head with her eyes closed. And finally, somebody that had gone in the grocery store and came out noticed she was still in that position. But her eyes finally began to open up. And she looked really, really worried. And so this guy goes to the car and says, what's going on? She says, I've been shot in the back of the head. And I've been trying to hold my brains in for over an hour. So they called the paramedics, called the police. They finally got there. And they had to break into the car because it was locked and Linda refused to remove her hands because she didn't want her brains to fall out. And so when the police finally got in the car, they discovered what had happened was a Pillsbury dough cast little container. It exploded from the heat in the car and sounded like a gunshot. And it shot a wad of dough in the back of her head. Linda initially passed out, but then she spent over an hour trying to hold what she thought was her brains in her head for over an hour. And y'all laugh, but I bet you if we hooked up some sensors to your brain right now and we showed a picture of what you think about during the day, I bet you we would laugh our heads off at some of the things that you allow to run rampant through your mind. Our imagination can be our greatest asset or it can be our greatest liability. Our imagination can be used to build our faith and see all the things God's promised us come to pass, or our imagination can be used to produce the greatest fears you have ever thought of in your entire life. Uh, Whenever we first started the church, I had no idea how to speak, how to preach, didn't know anything about public speaking, didn't know much about the Bible either. And we started at the Sonksty Library, and we rented out the library, and I called all my friends from high school that were on drugs. I said, man, y'all need to stop smoking pot and come to church. And they didn't stop smoking pot, but they did come to church. So it was very, very cool. But anyway, so at first when we started, it took me three months to write my first sermon. And the first sermon was six minutes long. I only knew one scripture, and I preached it for a full six minutes. And um, all those first three months, I was so nervous. I would sweat all through the night. I, there were nights I wouldn't sleep. Um, I knew God called me to start a church, knew he called me to preach, but I just didn't know what to do or how to do it. And I remember just waking up in cold sweats. I mean, just fear. People, um, you know, just laughing at me or not coming to church or me stumbling on words or not knowing what to say or actually saying something wrong, which all those things have happened. But anyway, um, and so right when we started the church, the first Sunday, the night before was a Saturday. From that first night, yeah, yeah, just in case you didn't know that, in case you went to Myrtle Beach High School, Saturday comes before Sunday. And so for the first six months of having the church at the library, I would go up there on Saturday nights and I would sit in the audience And I would close my eyes and I would imagine seeing myself up at the stage preaching. I would see myself walking the right way, saying the right things, having the right hand movements. I would visualize myself preaching scriptures. I would would even sit in the chairs and I would say amen and hallelujah, just seeing myself up there, you know, preaching. Then after a few months, when I came in on Saturday nights, instead of sitting down, I would imagine that all the chairs were full. 
And I would have to stand up at the back so other people could sit in the chairs and, and listen to the sermon and, and, and experience church there. I did it all in my mind. I saw myself preaching a thousand times before I ever spoke a word from a pulpit. It says in Joshua 1.8, meditate on God's word day and night and then you'll have prosperity and success. Notice the key God has given us to prosper and succeed. It's the key. If there's any other scripture you would ever know the rest of your life, it should be this one. The key to prosperity and success in any area of your life, any area, is to meditate on what God says about that area. Even when it comes to your own self-image, if I asked you today, show me a picture of yourself. Not out of your cell phone, you know, because you can change that and digitalize. But I want a picture of yourself from your mind. If you handed me a picture of yourself from your mind, would it be a picture of you being all stressed out and uptight and full of guilt and not able to? Or would that picture show you healthy and happy and strong and confident and successful and anointed and being used by God? I can tell you, this is kind of funny, but I think that I look a lot better than I really do. But I'm glad because there used to be a time in my life where I thought I was the ugliest, most unattractive thing in the world. And I pointed out everything bad about my physical appearance, my ears being too big, my lips too big, nose, whatever, my long arms, my giraffe neck. I had a whole list of everything I didn't like. But man, I finally learned if God sees me as this wonderfully and fearfully created person, then in his image, I am fearfully and wonderfully created. You got to get it on the inside before you ever see it on the outside. And this scripture here that says meditate on God's word, that can be the, the written word or that can be the spoken word. Whatever God's spoken to you about in life. Something that I do on a regular basis whenever I plan for my sermons is when it says meditate on God's word, I don't just think about a scripture. I imagine it. I literally have imagined myself as David standing before Goliath thousands of times before. I can picture myself with this average, ordinary talent, like David had a slingshot. I mean, you can sing or you can play guitar. Man, anybody can do that. Thousands of people could use a slingshot, but only one had the courage to stand before a giant. And he took something average and ordinary and he put it in the hands of God and God made it extraordinary. And I've seen myself so many times taking my talent of speaking or of playing the piano or writing songs or, or encouraging or, or option finding or whatever it is, and I can visualize myself standing before Goliath. And, and Goliath in my life had been insecurity or Goliath had been fear or Goliath had, had, had been um, having to make tough decisions or whatever the Goliath was. And I literally can see myself standing before this giant sickness, cancer, whatever it is. And I can see all these people behind me that could have done it, but they stayed back there because they were too scared. And I stand before Goliath and I can see myself slinging that slingshot, throwing that rock and him falling to the ground. Fear of public speaking. I can see knocking that giant on the ground. Sickness, worry, doubt, knocking it on the ground. You know how many times I've visualized myself getting spit up by a whale here in Myrtle Beach? Thinking, God, I've done you wrong. I've turned my back on you. You can't use me anymore. And God gets an Uber. A whale is an Uber and takes me right where he wants me to be. Spits me up and says, I still got a plan for your life. Even in the midst of your rejecting me, even in the midst of your doing wrong, in that process, I was actually taking you to where I originally called you to be. And I can see myself being spit up by that whale. Said, okay, God, I'll do what you're asking me to do. You know how many times I visualize myself at a, at, 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 a, at a well, going to get some water, and I feel so bad because of my past and the things I'm, and there's Jesus walking by, and I'm ashamed at first. I don't know if I should talk to him or not, and he comes and approaches me. 
He says, no, nah, I've forgiven you. Here's my mercy. He gives me a huge hug. I can feel Jesus. I can imagine it right now. Him wrapping his arms around me. When, when Brian Clark, he's, you know, strong as a bear. When he hugs your man, it's like you've gone to a chiropractor 15 times in a row. And I can just picture Jesus giving me this great big bear hug. And I say, God, I don't deserve your love. I can't believe the things I've done. He says, be quiet. Be quiet. I love you. I got a plan for you, and I can feel it in my... Listen, if you can't see it in here first, you'll never see it on the outside. Whatever we want in life, we have to see it on the inside first. We have to see it deep on the inside. We have to be able to imagine it day in, day out. Think about how God told Abraham he was going to have a child. In the natural, it was impossible. Now, God didn't write it in the Bible and say, here, it's in my word. It was a spoken word, something for Abraham to meditate on. He could think about it. God told me I was going to have a child. But Abraham was scared. He didn't see how it was going to happen. He was way too old. So God said in Genesis 15, 5, Abraham, look at the sky and count the stars. So shall your descendants be. I can picture Abraham going to bed at night and he's so discouraged and depressed and God, I thought you said I was going to have a kid and I just want one kid and you're saying that a whole nation's going to come out of me, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, God, I don't know. And God says, Abraham, be quiet and get outside. Abraham says, what are you talking about? Get outside. Go outside. And Abraham walks outside and God says, look up. And he sees the stars and Abraham said, are you serious? God says, I'm serious. Abraham says, one, two, three, four, 112, 113, 285, 286, 304. He gets to a thousand, he loses count. And he goes back to bed and he's so encouraged. He has this, 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 this thing that he can see, that he can visualize. The next morning, Abraham goes to the doctor and the doctor says, listen, man, I'm sorry. I did research. I called MUSC. I looked on the internet and nobody your age has ever had a child. It's impossible. Abraham's walking home. He thinks, God, everybody says it's impossible. It's not going to happen. God said in Genesis 22, 17, Abraham, I'm going to give you as many descendants as there are sand on the seashore. So Abraham goes down to the beach. He goes for a walk and he reaches down and he picks up a whole pile of sand and he just feels it running through his palm. And he sees all these little teeny pieces of grain. Think, that's how many descendants I'm going to have? And he's encouraged once again. Why didn't God just say, Abraham, you're going to have a bunch of kids. That's it. Because God knew the importance of having some type of visual representation to get on the forefront of his mind because God knew if I don't get his imagination going in the right direction, it's going to immediately go in the wrong direction. God knew the power of imagination. He wanted to give Abraham something to look at. Some of y'all need something like that. You need a picture of yourself when you are happy. And just put it in front of you. Put it on your refrigerator. Some of you need to take a scripture. Something I did uh, a long time ago. I was going through some depression. So I took a bunch of my favorite scriptures and I taped them all over the inside of my car. So everywhere I went, there was scripture there. Some of you need to have something in front of your eyes that reminds you what God said is supposed to happen in your life. Put Some of y'all, you have scripture stupid decorations in your house that don't mean nothing. Take those things down and put up something that means something. Something that gets it on the inside. Something that no matter where you walk in your house, you have on the forefront of your mind everything God says about you. Whether it's in a spoken word or deep down in your heart. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, The things that are unseen are eternal. Fix your minds on the invisible. Here's what that means to me. If we can see the invisible, God will do the impossible. 
If we can see the invisible, then God will do the impossible. There's a famous lady named Tara Holland. When Tara was a little girl, her dream was to be Miss America. So she competed in some pageants, and she made it to the Miss Florida pageant, and she got first runner-up. This was 1994, and she could have thought, you know what? I guess, you know, I tried. If I can't even win the state, how am I going to win the whole nation, you know, Miss America? She realized that she was beautiful on the outside, like we talked about last week. She had the weight she needed to be at. Her hair was the right length, but it was an internal problem. So Tara rented 500 of all the pageant videos she could possibly get. I mean, hundreds of them. She got every national pageant, every international, Miss Universe, Mrs. Universe, every regional, every state, every VHS tape she could possibly find. And she watched them over and over and over again. Every time it got to the winner, every time they announced who the winner of the whole pageant was, she would pause the video, she would close her eyes, and she would see herself standing on that stage. She would visualize them putting the crown on her head with that famous song playing in the background. People were throwing flowers at her. She would see herself over and over and over again. A few more years went by, and she won Miss America. After she made it to Miss America, won the pageant, some reporters came and talked to her. They said, Tara, were you nervous walking down that aisle? Were you nervous on that stage with millions of people watching you? How did you feel when they put the crown on your head? Were you scared whenever they were playing that famous song? She looked right in the camera and said, I was not nervous one bit. They were so shocked. They said, what do you mean? She said, I saw myself walking down that runway a thousand times before today. She said, I've already seen them put in the crowd of mine. She looked at the one reporter and said, I've already won Miss America hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before this day ever occurred. Let me ask you, have you ever seen yourself walking down the runway? Have you ever seen them putting the crown on your head? Can you see what it would look like if you were healthy? If you were happy? Can you see yourself serving God with a whole heart? Can you see what it would be like to give God everything in your life and not just the things that you can do without? Can you visualize yourself where God wants you to be? Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Walt Disney died before Disney World was complete. On the opening day, they had the main people there in a crowd. They had cut the ribbon, and somebody stood behind the microphone and said, it's too bad that Walt didn't live to see all of this. At that moment, the creative director of Disney World yelled out of the crowd, Walt did see it. That's why we're here today. We should see more with our eyes closed than we do when our eyes are open. We should be able to see ourselves paying our bills, playing with our kids, even having grandkids. I can tell you, I've seen myself preaching to thousands of people. I've seen myself in a room with dozens of pastors just encouraging them, letting them know, I know what it feels like when you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. I know you never feel like you do enough. I know. I see myself helping people. I see myself giving hundreds of thousands of dollars away to missions, to different organizations. I can see myself starting orphanages. I can see all of these things through my eyes of faith. And with some of y'all, I can see some of y'all singles, married and happy. I can see Dan and Erica with at least 10 children, maybe nine, something like that. <laughs> I can see all of this through my eyes of faith. Now, it does you no good for me to see you this way. You've got to be able to paint it on the canvas of your mind. 
I can tell you all day long what I think God has for you. you got to be able to do it on your own. Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and you will get it. One way that we believe in faith is through our imagination. One way that we believe God's going to do what he said he's going to do is through our eyes of faith, deep on the inside of our mind. I heard about this man as a true story. It happened decades ago. He was diagnosed with bladder cancer, and the doctor said it was inoperable. So they sent him home to just die, just die in his house, and he refused to do that. This man was in the military for most of his life. He was actually on the forefront um, of, the, uh, of, the, of the lines and did a lot of the fighting and spent most of his life like that. So instead of going home and just waiting to die like the doctor said, this man would sit in his recliner every day and spend at least 30 minutes to an hour visualizing these white blood cells inside of his body attacking the cancer cells. He told how he would close his eyes and he would see these white blood cells with little guns going after the cancer. He would see them strategizing inside of his body. He would picture these white blood cells pulling out maps of his body, finding out where the cancer is to attack them left and right. Day after day, this went by for six months. He finally went back to the doctor and the doctors were shocked. There was not one trace of cancer in his entire body. Now, I'm not giving you some kind of a voodoo, magic thing, mind over matter, nothing like that. I'm saying to meditate on what God says, and you will prosper and succeed in your life. I see pastors on TV, and they all have these different types of um, passions, and it always comes out in their sermons. Creflo Dollar always ends up on wisdom. John Hagee ends up on revelation and end time. Uh, Joyce Meyer ends up on like everyday living type stuff. Something that you'll always hear from me. Somehow I always get back to the fact that we were never meant to change ourselves. The issues you have in life, the addictions, the problems, we were never meant to change all alone. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, because we continue to behold the word of God, We are constantly being transformed into his very image. Here's what the scripture says. You spend time with God, he will transform you in your life. If we could change on our own, we wouldn't need Jesus. If we could overcome on our own, we wouldn't need God. Why did he die on the cross if we could do it by ourselves? If we could overcome the addiction, make it have prosperity and success, be healthy, wise, make good decisions. If we could do all these things and have joy and peace in our life on our own, then why do we need him? It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough just to pray. You've got to use your imagination the way God says. Some people never enjoy themselves because they're too busy trying to change themselves. Some people never enjoy their job because they're too busy trying to change things at their job. Some people never enjoy their kids because they're trying to change their kids. They never enjoy their church because they're trying to change their church. They never enjoy their spouse because they're trying to change their spouse. You were never meant to change yourself or change anybody else. The only person that can change us is God. And the way it comes is when we continue, go back to the scripture for me, please. When we continue to behold the word of God, we are constantly being transformed in his very image. When we behold the right things, he changes us from the inside out. But if you behold the wrong things, then you're going to become the wrong things in life. Whatever you behold is what you will become. You behold God's word, you'll become what he wants you to be. You behold the right type of friends in your life and you hear the right things coming into your ears, you'll become that. Whatever you behold, what goes in is what's going to come out. And a lot of you, the reason you can't get your imagination going in the right direction is because you're not beholding the right things. I was thinking about my, my dad's at MUSC today. I went and visited him a few days ago and 
He's got issues with his heart and his lungs. And there's doctors that specialize in different things. If you take a heart doctor, for instance, the reason the heart doctor is a heart doctor is because they spent years beholding things on the heart. They beheld charts and graphs on the heart. They beheld lectures and listened to lectures on the heart. They beheld books and they watched videos and all of these things and they became a heart doctor. Some of y'all are studying to become a professional pervert. You're studying all the wrong things. You're looking at the wrong images. You're beholding the wrong things. And you're becoming a professional pervert. Some of y'all are getting your doctor's degree in depression because all you do is to think about things and behold things that depress you. All the things you didn't go get in life, all the people that came against you, the things didn't go your right way. Some of y'all are becoming a professional poor person that's poor, a person of poverty, because you're not beholding what God says about finances. You're beholding what you think about finances or what your parents instilled in you, that your boss is your source and you have to hold on to everything and never give anything. Whatever you behold is what you're going to become. And if you want to get your imagination going in the right direction, you have to behold the right things. Last story and I'm done. Genesis chapter 30. This young man named Jacob, we talked about him a few weeks ago. He was working for Laban. Remember Laban was the father of weak eyes and um, voluptuous. Y'all remember weak eyes sermon? Okay, weak eyes and voluptuous. And their dad was, was Laban. So Jacob worked for him year after year after year. And it's finally time for Jacob to get paid. So Laban said, listen, I'm going to give you, you've been taking care of these animals and because of you it's all grown and prospered. So out of all these animals, I'm going to keep the solid colored ones and you get to keep all the speckled, spotted, and streaked animals. And Jacob agreed. In the middle of the night, because Laban was such a nasty, dirty crook, remember he switched, remember he switched weak eyes and, and voluptuous? Remember I told you about that? That'd be like, you know, Dan and Erica's getting married in a few months. That'd be like, you know, Dan's at the wedding, and before he gets drunk, and then when it comes down for the bride, like, I put Mark inside of in Erica's... <laughs> inside of Erica's wedding dress. And then there's Dan and Mark standing, the, you know, and then the next day there's weak eyes staring right back at him. But anyway, and so, <laughs> so Laban, Laban was a dirty crook. So in the middle of the night, Laban takes these animals that are most of the, most of the spotted, speckled, and streaked. They were supposed to be Jacob. He takes and gives it to his son that lives miles and miles away. And he especially takes the males so there's no way for Jacob's animals to reproduce. So what's Jacob going to do? He wakes up the next morning, all the speckled, streaked, and spot animals that were supposed to be his, there are not many of them there. Maybe a wolf got them, quote-unquote, in the middle of the night, and there's not even any males left to reproduce. So the Bible says in Genesis 30, verse 37 through 39, it says that Jacob cut branches from trees and peeled off part of the bark and made the branches look spotted and speckled. Then he put the branches by the water troughs for the animals to see while they made it and conceived. Because of this, the solid colored flocks gave birth to streaked, spotted, and speckled young. You hear what happened? So all these solid colored animals were having baby after baby after baby, and all of their babies were streaked, spotted, and speckled, and now belong to Jacob. Why did Jacob do that? Because he knows what we eventually look at in life is going to come through our reproduction. We're going to produce what we see. We're going to give birth to what it is we look at. If you behold it, you will become it. So if you want God to change your life, You simply have to change the picture that you're painting. That's the application for today. Get the right things going on in your mind. Learn to have a little bit more discipline and say no to some of the 
things you know you shouldn't be watching or shouldn't be looking or should be people you shouldn't be hanging around, the things that are messing up with your imagination. Spend every morning and every night, even if it's just for 15 seconds, and meditate on God's Word. See yourself defeating Goliath. See yourself strong as Samson, overcoming the enemy. See yourself like that person at the well, just receiving love from God. Visualize it. If you can see it on the inside, I can promise you, God will make it come to pass on the outside. Amen.